Thank you so much. Great to see you. Why don't we put our hands together? Welcome everyone in Cambridge, in Leicester, in London, everybody watching in line. We're coming to the midpoint of our series on God's plan for your well-being. Trust you're finding it helpful. What we're doing is we're looking at this wonderful theme that God is the source of all true well-being. He is Jehovah Shalom. He is the God of peace and well-being. And because of that, he actually is a good father who wants to help us see an increase of well-being in every area of our lives. And what we've been doing, we've been looking at our lives, not compartmentalized, but the idea that we've got six, if you like, interrelated areas or tanks. Uh, and we're, we're uh, looking at the idea of having a dashboard, a life dashboard. And I want us to think again today about how, our, how we're doing in these various areas. You know, where are the dials? Are they in the, the red zone? We're in empty, uh, amber, we're quite a lot of work needed, or do we feel like we're doing w really well in an area? We're in the green zone. Last couple of weeks, we've been focusing on the first two areas we've been looking at are physical well-being and then our emotional well-being. Today, I want to look at this vital subject of our spiritual well-being. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been away on holiday uh, or you've done something really fun? You've been away with family or friends. Maybe you've had the pleasure of watching England win a football match or a rugby match, or Man City win, you know, something that really just gives you a buzz. But actually, in reality, you've come back from that either long-term experience or that short-term occasion, and you've thought, you know, even though I should be doing well, I still don't feel refreshed. Maybe you just needed longer on holiday, <laughs> and maybe you're just not rested enough. But can I suggest that there is a part of us that only God himself can satisfy and it's the innermost part of us that we will call our spirit. You see, in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23, Paul puts it this way. He prays for the Thessalonians, and we can take it for ourselves. He prayed that we might be made holy, whole and holy, in three areas. Can we say this together? Spirit, soul, and body. Spirit, soul, and body. Now, if I say, you know, body, all of us know what we're talking about. If I say soul may need a bit of unpacking. I, I, I like simply to describe our soul as comprising of our mind, our will, and our emotions. We've been looking at uh, the, our mind and our emotions, particularly over the last few weeks. But what about our spirit? What's that about? Well, I believe there's an innermost part of us, if you like, at the core of our being, that before we become Christians, it's like we're spiritually dead or empty, and it's only when we come to Christ that that spiritual part of us comes alive. And even when we're Christians, we need to, as it were, keep filling that spiritual tank, because when we're filled spiritually, it has an impact on every other area of our lives. 
Um, many of you have heard my testimony, but you know, wh- when I was 19, I had lots of things outwardly going well. You know, I was up at a great uni studying a great course. I had a beautiful girlfriend who's now my wife. You know, everything outwardly was looking good. And yet I couldn't put my finger on it. I knew there was just something missing on the inside. Many people today, I think, are are aware there's something missing, but they don't quite know what it is. Uh, St. Augustine, many, many centuries ago, put it like this. He said, you, Lord, have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. That's a great quote, I believe. It's saying that deep in our human condition, if you like, we're not just physical beings, we're not just emotional and mental beings, we actually have a spirit, we have a spiritual dimension, there's something on the inside of us that can only be satisfied when we have a a sense of a relationship with God. And so for me, All that change, that sense of restlessness when I invited Jesus Christ to come into my life, not only felt forgiven and loved and full of joy, but suddenly for the first time I think ever in my life, I felt deeply, deeply at peace and at rest. It just felt like it is well. There's something about that encounter with Christ that changes us from the inside out. Maybe you're here today and you don't know that deep sense of spiritual peace and contentment. Well, at the end of the message, wherever you're gathered, we want to um, pray with you and help you make that step. But for many others of us, we become Christians. We know what it is, if you like, to have that initial encounter with God through Jesus Christ. But how many of you discover that you can be a Christian and yet still not be in the green zone spiritually? Because actually becoming a Christian, getting born again, is just the start of a journey. And in order for us to enjoy spiritual well-being, there's kind of God takes the initiative, but we have to respond to his initiative, not just when we invite Christ to come into our life, maybe many years ago or even decades ago. We have to cultivate this relationship because that's what God's interested in. He wants a dynamic, personal relationship with every single one of us. And it may be you're here today, and if you look at your spiritual dial... You say, to be honest, I, I, I think maybe I'm either amber or heading towards or in the red zone. I mean, you're here, praise God. You're, you're in one of these gatherings, which is amazing. You're, 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 there's still a sense of, I know that God is the answer, but if you're honest, you're really struggling. Maybe even coming to church is an effort. Maybe you know you ought to read your Bible and pray, but there just doesn't seem like much passion or desire. Well, it may be then that you need a real spiritual overhaul, and I pray the Holy Spirit will meet with you today and and begin to restore you just like he did Elijah. Maybe others here that you're you're kind of doing okay, but if you look back, you're probably in what I would call the stalled or the stuck zone. (laughs) In other words, you're just on a bit of a plateau. Life's kind of trotting along, but you're not really encountering God in a meaningful way. You're not really growing spiritually. Well, again, I believe God wants to meet you today. And then there's a, maybe a third group. You say, you know, I'm doing well. I'm walking with God. But can I say, even then, there is so much more because God is an infinite God. He wants every single one of us to have a spiritual upgrade. Can I, amen? Wherever we're at, he wants to meet with us today. So what we're going to do is we're going to look again at Elijah, this Old Testament prophet we've been studying 
And he's a great example of somebody who was doing great spiritually, had an incredible series of spiritual victories, and then suddenly, through I think a combination of overdoing it and a combination of the fear, um, the missile of fear from Queen Jezebel, he literally hits rock bottom. All his dials were in the red zone. What I love about Elijah, even in his most desolate place, he hasn't turned his back on God, he's just given up on himself. Hence he says, Lord, I've had enough, take my life. And so God, who loves him, just like he loves you and me, he's for us, amen. Even if we're down, he's not abandoning us, and he hasn't abandoned Elijah, and so he comes to him, he sends in the angel, He allows Elijah first to have a good sleep, then he makes a meal for him. That's the physical replenishment. Often God starts from the outside in. Then there's the, if you like, the emotional encouragement. The angel comes, as we we saw last week, and basically tells him to get up. But that's not the end of it. He's still in the desert. And so what God does is he calls him through the angel to come and meet with him afresh. What Elijah needs, above all else, right at the core of his being, is a fresh encounter with the very presence of God. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at three lessons from this encounter and Elijah's life about how we can see an increase of spiritual well-being wherever we're at on our journey. They all begin with H. Can we say these together? Hunger, honesty, and hearing. Well, I had to do that to make it kind of sound good. Hunger, (laughs) honesty, and hearing. So so let's let's, let's get going. First thing is, if we want to see an increase of spiritual well-being, we need an increased hunger for God. What do I mean by that? It's recognizing that actually God is the source of not just our spiritual well-being, but of every other area. And you see, this is something that, that we need to just remind ourselves of, because when it comes to physical hunger or thirst... Our bodies, if you like, are wired to cry out or to respond when we're physically hungry or thirsty. I mean, any of you who've got newborns, you'll know. They let you know when they're hungry or thirsty. Is that right? I remember, you know, even you know, when one of our daughters was still quite young and learning to talk, um, she, she let us know. She, she couldn't quite say it, so she said, Mommy, Daddy, I'm thirsty. <laughs> She was thirsty, and she she let us know. Why? Because physiologically, we're wired to cry out when we're hungry. How many of you adults know when you're thirsty and when you're hungry? Your body tells you, doesn't it? Sometimes it almost shouts at you. But you see, with our spirits, it's like our spirit doesn't shout. And here's why we need to be kind of a little bit discerning, because I believe it's possible to be spiritually depleted and not be aware of it. To be spiritually stuck and not fully conscious of it. And so even as I share, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to help us actually discern where we're actually at. And so we need to be a little bit more, a little bit more um, wise and a little bit more discerning when it comes to where we're at spiritually. It's pretty obvious. If we're tired physically, we know that. If we're emotionally down, we know it. But spiritually, we need to allow the Lord to help us. And so what's happened here in the Elijah story is that the God who's begun to help him be physically replenished and emotionally restored calls him to go on a 40-day journey. Say 40 days. A 40-day journey from Beersheba, which is already in the south of the country, right down um, through largely desert area, 
to a mountain that's called um, Mount Horeb, which is basically the same mountain. It's Mount Sinai. Now, how many you know that some pretty special things happened at Mount Sinai early on in the biblical account? This was the mountain where God encountered Moses and the, and the children of Israel. And so when Elijah is called to go on this journey by the angel, he knows kind of where he's going. He knows what to expect. He knows that going on the 40-day journey is not just a, a big physical workout. It's actually because he knows that in that Old Testament context, that was the place where God had manifested him in the past. And so he's, he's expressing a huge and a radical hunger for God. How many think a 40-day journey through the desert expresses a real hunger for God? Here's the deal. God initiates it, but Elijah... The man who's already been walking with God and yet got depleted kind of knows that God is the source of his well-being. Now, I've got good news for you today. We are in a better place than Elijah. We now live post the coming of Jesus Christ. We live after the cross and the resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So you and I do not need to go on 40-day pilgrimages to special mountains in order to have a fresh encounter with the living God. Can we give a shout and an amen for that? Isn't it good? God has come to us. He's come near to us in Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And he's come right to be with us. And if you're a Christian, right to live on the inside of you 24-7. So you don't have to wait for a special occasion. Can I tell you, right in the midst of your busy life right now, on a Monday morning, on a Tuesday afternoon, anywhere, anytime, you can turn to God and have a fresh encounter with him. Come on, isn't God good? So that's the grace that, that we live in. But I believe it's important, though, that we don't, as it were, lose the lesson from this, uh, this Old Testament story, which is even though we don't actually have to physically go somewhere because God actually lives on the inside of us, I believe there is something we can learn about, if you like, the passion and the desire and the hunger that meant Elijah was prepared to pursue God in such a radical way. Let, let, let me try and give you an illustra illustration may help. Um, again, when our girls were younger, much younger, we, uh, we'd play hide and seek. And although I was always in real life present for them, in that game, there was something about the thrill, the two-way thrill, mine and theirs, about the joy of seeking and finding. There was a fun in it. There were, there was, and I think in some ways, it's a little bit like that when it comes to God. It's not that God is hiding from us. Uh, Pastor Bill Johnson put it this way, God doesn't hide things from us, but for us. You see, the, when, when we talk about Christianity, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. Can I remind us all, basic foundational 101 stuff, God is a father. And he loves us, and he wants us to have a relationship with him. And there's something about the childlike desire. God, I want to know you, that I believe thrills the heart of God. What does it, James say? Draw near to God. Yeah, and he draw near to you. Seek the Lord, and you will find him. And so there's something about this encounter that I believe is, is integral. Can I say, if you want to break through, if you want to see an increase in your spiritual well-being, as it were, cultivate an increased hunger, but don't just allow it to stop at desire. Go into the discipline of actually looking at your calendar, looking at your lifestyle and say, how can I carve out some more time to be with the God who's always with me? Amen. Because it's one thing to have God living inside of us, it's another to actually, as it were, pursue his presence 
in a more active and a deeper way. How many want a deeper walk with God? Well, there's a great promise. If we seek him, we will find him. So that's the first thing, an in- increased hunger for God. And can I say, if, you, if you've never started uh, developing a relationship with God, you know, don't try and do something that is, un, you know, for where you're at, unattainable. Like, I'm going to pray five hours a day. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. No, you know, m- maybe all you can do, can I say 20 minutes of, if you like, feeding and feasting on the presence of God, maybe reading, a bi- getting a Bible reading plan, not rushing through it, slowly reading it, let God speak to you, journal, and then, then pause and pray the Lord's Prayer slowly. I want to tell you, 20 minutes will go like that. I want to tell you, that will be a great start for you to continue on, a, to, get, to go on a journey of increased intimacy with God. Or it may be you've, you've been going with God for a long time and you're spiritually stuck. Ask the Lord this week, as you read through the daily devotionals, you're in your group, ask the Lord, what would be the next step for me to grow in my hunger and my intimacy with God. That's the first thing, increased hunger. Secondly, an increased honesty before God. Increased honesty before God. How how many of you, when somebody asks you, maybe somebody you don't know very well, asks how you're doing, uh, wonder how how you respond. I ask people this all the time, how are you doing? And I get normally two answers. One is, I'm fine. Or sometimes if they're feeling a bit more dour, not too bad. In other words, we give these kind of bland kind of, and I understand why we do that culturally. We, we, you know, people we don't know, we don't want to pour out exactly where we're at. We don't want to tell people, you know, and probably when somebody asks you the question, they don't want to hear 10 minutes of either all, all the joys in your life or all the woes. But can I say it's really important that we do have a few close people in our lives who we can go beyond the I'm fine or not too bad and actually tell people how it really is. And that's one of the things that I'm hoping and praying and trusting that this series is doing. Even the fact that this, you know, so many more of you in small groups, I think it's fantastic. My prayer is the climate and the cultures. We look at these dials, we actually say, no, don't tell me what you, where you want it to be. How are you really doing? And then begin to unpack that. There's something about that accountability that helps us emotionally and it helps us spiritually. But what I want to focus on here is the good news that we have someone, i.e. God himself, who wants us to have an incredibly open and honest relationship. You see, God is not a distant God. He's a God who's come near. God doesn't want us to have a formal kind of fear-based relationship with him. He wants us to come, as it were, before him, warts and all, and say, here I am, Lord. This is what's going on. Come and help me, Lord. Break into my life. I love you. I honor you. I want to put you first. Let's let's have a raw, authentic relationship with God. Amen? The psalmist puts it this way. You know me, I love this, inside and out. You see, I think sometimes what we do is I think one of the reasons why we can hold back from God is like, well, if he only knew where I was at, can I say he does? And I I don't think we consciously do this, but maybe unconsciously there's a sense of, yeah, but I haven't got my life all sorted out. And what about this area that's in the shadow? He knows it anyway. He knows the good, the bad, and the ugly. And because of Jesus Christ, you can come before him and know his forgiveness, his cleansing, and his freedom in your life. Come and open your life to the Lord. Amen. 
This is one of the keys to spiritual well-being. You see, we need a hunger for him, but when we actually get before him, we need to get rid of the pretense and the veneer and encounter the Lord in an honest way. And this is what happened with Elijah. You see, when Elijah eventually gets to Mount Horeb, God asks him a question. In fact, he asked the same question twice. What are you doing here, Elijah? And I can say, when God asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. It's not like God's saying, I'm slightly puzzled, Elijah. How did you manage to get here? God knows exactly how he got here because he was all-knowing. In fact, God himself was the one who initiated the journey in the first place. So he's not asking for information. What he's actually inviting Elijah to do, like he invites us to do, is open up your life. Tell me what's really going on in your life, Elijah. Jeff Lucas, who wrote a great book on Elijah, put it this way. Elijah, talk to me. Throw aside your nice, pleasant speech and just tell me what's going on in that locked mind of yours. God knows what's really going on. He knows exactly where you're at. And he loves you anyway. Can I say knowing that is deeply, deeply liberating. And Elijah obviously is not scared to say what's going on. Earlier on in the, 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 the account of the story in 1 Kings chapter 17, we see him as a man of incredible faith, calling drought and rain and fire and resurrection. And he also, he's a, he's, he's a man who's prepared to be honest with God about where he's really at. And we see this here in, in this account at the mountain. So he, this is how Elijah responds to God's question. What, um, what are you doing here, Elijah? He says this. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Now, I haven't got time to unpack this, but basically that statement firstly shows that Elijah is stuck because he repeats the same thing twice it's almost as if God didn't hear him the first time. Secondly, it reveals he's completely lost perspective. Because in that statement, there's a mixture of truth, half-truth, and falsehood. For example, he isn't the only one left. And later on, as we'll see in the next couple of weeks, God corrects that. But the point is, here's the thing. Elijah felt safe in his relationship with God to pour out where he was at, even though some of it wasn't actually true. And can I say, and God didn't fall off his throne. In fact, the Lord's the one who's inviting this honest conversation. I believe the Lord wants to invite you and I into a greater, more open and honest relationship with him because there's something about being known and being loved and being vulnerable and being honest before God that just, as it were, does something deep at the very core of your being. And this isn't just an isolated example. Uh, if you've ever read the, the Psalms in the Old Testament, you'll know that many of the Psalms are what's called laments. Where literally the psalmist is, is in anguish or just despairing at what's happening in his, his life or what's happening in, in the state of the nation. They just pour out to God. And nearly always they, they end up with a declaration of faith and praise. Can I say that's a great combination? It's not that we're either in faith or we're honest. We can have an honest relationship with God and yet still end up in, but Lord, I trust you, but Lord, you're good in all seasons at all times. Amen? So let's cultivate an honest relationship with God. So let's say that. Greater, um, 
Greater hunger. Greater honesty. Then the third principle from this amazing story is an increased hearing from God, an increased ability to hear from God. You may have heard preachers say this, one word from God will completely change your life. Well, I believe it's true. But I believe it's even more true that if you will walk with God on a daily basis and continually listen to him and believe what he says and do what he tells you to do, that really will change your life. See, it's not just about one word. It's about a dynamic relationship with your heavenly father. And so what I want to talk about is cultivating a greater sensitivity to hearing the voice of God. Problem is, though, is that often we struggle to really hear from God. I don't know about you, but when I first became a Christian, the the idea that, that God wanted to talk to me was just so incredible. Problem was, I had a really hard time knowing that what I was, thought I was hearing was me, the pizza, the cheese, the devil, or God. I was completely confused. But I started taking great comfort from the fact that the more I spent t- time with him, I thought, I think I'm getting to discern what's God and what isn't. You see, if, um, you know, my phone, uh, someone rung through, and the number was withheld, and the name was withheld, And I heard the voice on the end of the phone, hi. And that hi was coming from Karen. I would immediately know it's her because we spent so much time together. And that would be the same with my children, my mum and dad, with family and friends. Why? Because we spent so much time together. Even though I'm not there seeing them physically, I, I, I know their voice. And so here's a beautiful promise from Jesus himself. Simply this, my sheep hear my voice. Notice the qualification for hearing the voice of God is not to be a mighty theologian or a great preacher. The the qualification for hearing God's voice is to be a sheep. It's kind of the picture of just like sheep hear the voice and recognize the voice of their shepherd. So the promise is that as we walk with God, we will come to the point where we know God's voice Not our voice, not the devil's voice, not the noise of culture. And can I say, when you learn to discern the voice of God, it's one of the most beautiful and tank-filling things you can possibly experience. And I believe that's what God wants for every single one of us. The question is then, do we have any guidelines in the word about how God speaks to us? How, How does Jesus speak to us today by his spirit? Well, the broad answer is in lots of different ways. If we look through scripture, God speaks in different ways. But I believe it's important that we don't get sidetracked into just a wrong expectation that God's only going to speak in a very dynamic or dramatic or audible way. If I was to do a survey of everybody watching, wherever you gathered, of how many people had heard the audible voice of God, I reckon it would be very, very few. I've, I've been walking with God for decades, and I've never actually heard an audible voice, and I'm not looking for one. And it's interesting that when we look at this Um, encounter between God and Elijah. Elijah has obviously been used to hearing the voice of God, but here it's like God reveals himself in a particular way on the mountain. Firstly, God tells him to get ready because he's about to meet with him. He says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then there are three displays of power. And if, if, you, if, you know, if you know things about the wind and the earthquake and the fire, you'll know both in Elijah's story and in previous accounts, God has revealed himself in dramatic ways. 
But in this occasion, it says, when this mighty wind came, it says, but the Lord was not in the wind. And then there's the massive earthquake, and it says, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Then fire, you know, Elijah's just experienced fire coming down. It says, but the Lord was not in the fire. And I write about it in the book. I, I believe it's part of the whole idea. Elijah, you've been used to miracles and the spectacular, but right now, you're burnt out. Right now, I, I want to teach you something different. Right now, I want to recommission you. And so it says, but after the fire came a gentle whisper. Or in the New King James, it has, can we say this together, a Still, small voice. I know the children are studying that whole concept of God speaking through a still, small voice. There's probably a lot of things going on there. I wonder whether God was saying to Elijah, Elijah, don't just put me in a box. Don't just, the the way I've, I've displayed myself, I want to teach you something different. But I think there's something beautifully transferable about this Old Testament story. The still, small voice, that gentle whisper If you look into the New Testament and into literally church history, I would, I, would, I would suggest that billions of people who follow Jesus Christ throughout the centuries say the number one way that God speaks is he speaks not out there, not loud, not shouting. He, he speaks on the inside of us with a still, small voice. It's not so much words in our head. It may be a prompting. It may be an impression. It may be thoughts or words coming. But it, as it, as it, it comes from your spirit on the inside, and you just know that you know that you know that it's God coming to you, reaffirming his love for you, encouraging you. Yes, maybe correcting or, or, or challenging you, but never condemning you because he's a good, good father. Amen? And he doesn't just want a load of outward stuff. He's a God who wants us to draw close to him and hear him. Problem is, though, is that we have a lot of noise going on on the inside of us that often means we find it hard to actually discern when God is speaking. Blaise Pascal, right back in the 17th century, so it's not just a modern problem, uh, great scientist and theologian said this, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room, al- to sit quietly in a room alone. Wow. There's something about that it's like we're almost scared of just being on our own and being still. And I think today it's even worse. The modern author, Ruth Haley Barton, adds this. In silence, we not only withdraw from the demands of life and the company of others, but also allow the noise of our own thoughts, striving and compulsions to settle down so we can hear a truer and more reliable voice. In silence, we create space for God's activity rather than filling every minute with our own. I don't know about you, but right now God is teaching me stuff. You know, I'm not naturally a contemplative, silent kind of guy, but God is teaching me about silence and learning to be still. I managed two minutes of silence the other day. (laughs) There's just something about just being still and thinking, I don't need all the noise. Because I believe it's possible, there's obvious stuff like the noise of our culture. Just too much stuff that's crowding God out. And obviously if it's sinful stuff, get rid of it. But I believe even if we're sincere 
Bible-believing Christians, it's possible that we can almost fill our heads and our hearts with what I call Christian noise. Now, hear me, hear me rightly. I'm a great, I think it's fantastic that today we can download amazing podcasts and fill our lives with Christian worship music. I think it's fantastic. I, I, you know, I think it's a great way. You know, yes, immerse yourself in good stuff. But I think there's also a danger that we can end up on, if you like, developing a second-hand faith. Don't, don't get sold short on because you're listening to somebody singing about encountering God that you're not actually encountering God yourself. Don't allow the only experience you've got of the Bible or truth be your favorite preacher speaking it. Make sure you know it, not just they know it. Amen? There's a guy called Chance the Rapper from Blaise Pascal to Chance the Rapper. Uh, He's a young guy, only 26. He had three Grammy Awards. He's a Christian, loves Jesus, includes um, reference to his faith in public. But last year, at the peak of his career, he decided to take a temporary break away from music in order to read his Bible. He wrote on his Instagram before the break, I'm going away to learn the Word of God, which I'm admittedly very unfamiliar with. I've been brought up by my family to know Christ, but I haven't taken upon myself to really just read my Bible. What he's recognizing here that there's almost like a personal responsibility to come close and to fill his heart and mind with the truth of God's word. So what's the link between the written word of God, the Bible, and hearing God's voice? I think there's a massive link. Firstly, the more we get into the Bible, the more we begin to understand the kind of way God speaks. You see, when you get a revelation of God's goodness and his love and the things that that are pleasing to him and not pleasing to him, when you begin to hear God speak, it's almost like it helps you line up with the truth. It's like a tuning fork. And so can I encourage you, not every time you read the Bible will you sense God kind of giving you a major life-changing word, but the more you just immerse yourself in the truth of God's word, and the more you're still, and the more you journal, and the more you get God's ways and his character, your mind will be getting renewed so you'll know or if you like, more, the more accurate voice of God to you. There's another thing about getting into the word of God and getting a full revelation of God's love and if you like, keeping Jesus Christ central. Psychologists say one of the problems we have with our thoughts is we have what's known as a harsh inner critic. In other words, you've got a voice in your head, some of you, <laughs> that almost like is wanting to beat you down. And how do you know we've got an enemy called the devil who wants to beat you down? Amen. But our Father's a good, good Father, amen? The cry from our spirits by the Holy Spirit, if we're children of God, there's a cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. There's, it doesn't mean that God doesn't sometimes challenge us, but it's different. It's not a harsh voice. It's a liberating voice, amen? And so let's take an opportunity as we go into this week. Firstly, let, let's just think again about our, our spiritual well-being. Let, let's look at the dial. Think about, Lord, help me see where I'm at. And then, Lord, I want to cultivate an increased hunger for you. I want to be more honest before you. And then I want to learn to be still and know that you are God. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you so much for your wonderful grace and your love for us. Thank you, Lord, that you are a good, good father. 
Thank you, Lord, that you took the initiative by coming close to us through Jesus Christ by the power of your Spirit. And we want to respond in kind. Thank you, Lord, that you desire to draw us near. And so we want to say yes in Jesus' name. Amen.